welcome to this special podcast series on creating healthy workplaces, brought to you by Wellcosa, the Wellness Council of South Africa. My name is Dr. Martin Combring, founder and director of Wellcosa and a wellness strategist. This series of podcasts features international renowned experts in the field of health and wellness in the workplace. And these speakers will impart their knowledge, insight and wisdom in the field of workplace wellness to listeners around the world. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You will learn from international workplace experts about the latest insight, knowledge and innovations on how to create healthy workplaces for all. I'm very honored and pleased to have with me today William, or as everybody knows him, Bill McPeck which is a solution matter expert with a focus on employer health and well-being. Bill currently works as an international consultant, trainer and coach and is a workplace health and wellness stalwart. He previously served as um, information integration manager for Viridian Health Management and as director of employer health and safety with Maine State Government, where he focused on employer wellness, employer safety and the state's employer assistance program, the EAPs. Bill has experience working with large and small employers in both the public and the private sectors. He has also authored and co-authored a number of articles published in both professional and trade publications and book chapters. Bill earned his Bachelor of Arts in Sociology from the Hofstra University in um, Hampstead, I think it is, New York, and the Master of Social Work from the Boston College Graduate School of Social Work, Massachusetts. His current areas of interest and research includes worksite wellness for the small and micro organizations, behavior change and applications of positive psychology at the workplace. And he will be talking today on us a very important and interesting topic, understanding the concept of a healthy workplace. And a key question that I often ask, which is one that you've identified, Martin, already, and I spoke to, and that as worksite wellness program practitioners, why would we ever expect employees to get healthy in an unhealthy organization? So when it comes to understanding a healthy organization, I think we have to look at, uh, beyond the individual, I think we have to look at three particular areas. The workplace environment, which I break down into the physical environment and the psychosocial environment, the workplace climate, and the organization culture. You know, the the workplace environment is probably the easiest because it's, we see it, you know, we we touch it, we experience it um, to to a significant um, degree. It's the most visible component of an organization's culture. Historically, what we've done, though, is that we've only focused on pieces of it. Uh, We focused on uh, creating opportunities for physical activity, adding broccoli to the menu uh, in the cafeteria or salads. Uh, So we've had a very limited impact. But as we look more at well-being, we've got to take into consideration other things such as lighting, uh, colors. There's significant research about how colors of a workplace affect our mood, the temperature, mm-hmm. uh, noise, 
And, and window access, uh, being able to view nature. Uh, one of the deep dives I'm currently taking in my uh, reading is the relationship between mental health. And I use mental health, again, in a very broad perspective. It's not just mental illness, but the relationship mm. between employee mental health and connection to nature. Uh, I live in Maine. Uh, Maine is a very, for the most part, a very rural state uh, and a great opportunity to connect with, with nature. So mm. that's kind of an area that I'm um, exploring uh, to, to a degree. <clears throat> the good news is that there are 26, that I, by my count, there are 26 different assessment tools that one can find online to assess the physical workplace environment. Mm. So it's, you know, I'm, there are great tools out there that the practitioner can tap into. And if anybody would like a list of those tools, uh, shoot me um, an email through Wellcosa, Wellcosa or connect with me through Wellcosa, and I'll be happy to share that uh, list uh, with you. So mm. <clears throat> when we talk about the physical environment, we, we also need to talk about uh, standards and, and different types of concepts. Uh, there's a great uh, concept out there called quality of life per square foot. And that's put out uh, by or put forth by Deborah Daly. Uh, she's a vice president of well-being at uh, Sodexo, which is a large uh, multinational corporation, as I understand it. And then mm -hmm. there are several different well-building standards that within right. the last couple of years have come forward that practitioners should know and, and, and should be aware of and, and, and take a look at. And then there's also a set of standards out there called living community standards that might be able to be applied to the workplace um, as well. So <clears throat> from a typical workplace environment, we physical workplace environment, we've talked about uh, healthier choices in the cafeteria and snack bars and vending machines. We've talked about stairwell. Um, we didn't talk about stairwell initiatives, but that's kind of a physical activity uh, related right. initiative. And then we did talk about uh, wellness, uh, uh, walking routes and paths. But we also need to look at workspaces. There's considerable research coming out today about the impact of open spaces and hot desks and flexible workspaces and the impact that that's having on productivity and performance and, and well-being. So I think we need to really take a hard look at workspaces and, and certainly probably in many workplaces Today, ergonomics is a huge issue that hmm. when it comes to well-being, we need to take care of because uh, too many people are sitting too long. Uh, too many people are using their computers uh, or mobile devices in uncomfortable uh, positions. And hmm. that's a whole issue uh, in and of itself that we need to take a look at. The key point to remember is that while changing the environment is the easiest thing to do, changing the environment will most likely change the climate. And we're going to talk about climate here next, but uh, changing the environment will not result in a change of the organization's culture. So many times I see in the literature, in the worksite wellness literature, people putting forth the idea that, oh, we're going to change the culture because we're going to put broccoli on the menu uh, <laughs> in the cafeteria. Um, it, it ain't going to happen. Uh, the culture is, is much, much more than just the physical environment. Yes, we need to change the physical environment. We also need to do 
um, some other things. We need to take, one of those things is we need to take a look at the psychosocial environment of the workplace. And <clears throat> the important thing to keep in mind is as humans, we're social beings and relationships are key to our health and well-being. Gallup has done some research and they've concluded that the most engaged people in the workplace have a best friend at work. Hmm. Pretty, pretty strong statement, pretty, pretty strong research um, yep. from my, my perspective. Um, that's why social relationships at work are, are so critical. And that's why I really cringe today with the amount of incivility that's taking place in, in workplaces. It's, it's detrimental and it's not going to drive the wellness bus. Uh, any further down the road. Another important area from a psychosocial perspective is uh, emotional uh, well-being or, or mental um, well-being. However, again, different terms uh, oftentimes meaning the same thing. But it's the important point there with mental health and, and emotional well-being, it's not just mental health. I mean, I'm sorry, it's not just mental illness and uh, use of the EAP and the benefits, uh, mental health, substance abuse benefits. But it's important that the organization look at and deal with and take advantage of employee strengths, employee resiliency, uh, the employee's values, and how those values are shared between the organization and the employee, and the whole issue of meaning and purpose of job. Um, critical, critical areas today in our value-added uh, economy. You know, you just don't go in and, and, you know, punch your clock and make your widget and go home. And you, I think it was Henry Ford uh, said, you know, I don't care about the employee's mind. I just want their hands. Well, yeah. it does, that doesn't work today. You know, we need the whole person there. So that means we got to deal with these psychosocial um, issues. <clears throat> uh, uh, some research that's uh, come to my attention from uh, the uh, center, and it's probably because they're based in New England as, as I am, but the Center uh, for Health Promotion in the New England workplace um, had examined the role of working conditions in low-wage employee health and employee weight management and found that the physical and psychosocial features of work were important antecedents for overweight. And I don't, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of the whole relationship of, of weight and health um, <laughs> or the whole issue of dieting. Um, I could talk a whole hour on those as well. Uh, but the, the important point here is we often see weight as being an individual issue and it's a behavioral issue. Well, this research clearly points out that it's not just about behavior. It's about the workplace environment. Hmm. That, research, that research found that physically demanding uh, work related to um, illnesses, injuries, leisure time, and, and the physical activity of individuals. And that the psychosocial work stresses, stress was related to high demands, low control, low social support, and poor treatment. So again, we the, the, this I I don't want to overemphasize, but at the same time, I do want to overemphasize the importance of of psychosocial uh, aspects 
of the workplace. And <clears throat> again, as we found for the physical uh, side of, of the workplace, there are multiple tools available uh, for the practitioner to conduct an assessment of their psychosocial environment uh, in the workplace. Uh, one is which is the uh, Copenhagen Psychosocial Questionnaire. Another is the Social Environment Assessment Tool. And a third one would be uh, Social Impact Assessment. <clears throat> Practitioners um, or, the, or the audience um, should be aware that there's uh, a national standard it's a voluntary standard at this point, but it's cutting mm -hmm. edge and it comes out of Canada and the national standard of Canada for physical health, I'm sorry, for psychological health and safety in the workplace. So that mm -hmm. might be a good standard for kind of folks to take a look at and engage what goes into making a uh, psychologically healthy and safe uh, workplace. The, uh, is, is that the BNQ standard? Um, BNQ, Bureau of yeah, National Quality. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's a, I don't know what the, it's the national standards are called in, in, um, in Canada. I'm, I'm maybe okay. thinking about the Quebec, um, standards organization and I forget what they're called, but right. Right. this is, this is the a national standard out of Canada. It could very well be BNQ, Martin. I'm just not, uh, I didn't list it that way. And right. um, it, it may be, but I, you know, Google search for the national standard of psychological health and safety in the workplace, Canada, mm -hmm. will bring it up without a doubt, I'm sure. And the, the, the International Standards Organization, which is sort of the overarching umbrella um, <clears throat> agency for all of the, in, the standard organizations in each of the individual countries, is currently working on a well-being standard. And my mm -hmm. understanding is that that is coming out of the UK. So um, that will be something else folks might want to keep a watch out for, is the, a new well-being standard. So we've got a number of strategies from a psychosocial uh, perspective. We've got workplace mental health promotion. We've got a number of strategies that are listed in the uh, US National Registry of Evidence-Based Programs and Practices. The um, American Psychiatric Association, um, in partnership with some others, has a partnership for workplace mental health and then within their uh, database, they list a wide-ranging number of employer case examples. And then the American Psychological Association also has a psychologically healthy workplace program that folks can look at in terms of uh, strategies that they might consider applying in their workplace. So we don't lack for tools. As yeah. I said at the outset, I think what we do is we lack for um, one, a, a desire to do this, but more importantly, what is it? And and you can't you can't do what you don't define, and you certainly can't measure what you don't define. So um, that's why I said each individual employer is going to have to figure out for themselves what does this concept called employee well-being mean um, to them. Okay, so. <clears throat> Again, just to reinforce what I've said already, that the psychosocial environment of an organization is 
not only tremendously complex, but it's also tremendously important. And, and that's why we need um, to address it. The second area that I mentioned, uh, we've got the first area, which is the, the workplace environment. The second area is the workplace uh, climate. And not to, not to confuse climate with culture. Those are two very uh, related, but two very different things. So the researchers that have looked at climate have found a strong link between organization climate and employees in areas of stress, absenteeism, commitment, retention, job satisfaction, well-being, participant participation, sorry, and readiness for creativity, innovation, and change. Hmm. All key things. In, that are that are critical in today's workplace because things are changing so quickly um, that you know you, you, it's no longer you know sufficient that you you know you go to school get your basic education and then you go into the workplace and you don't have to think about learning anything else uh, yeah. for the rest of your life. Um, that's just not the case uh, today. So the the organizational climate impacts into a lot of areas that are critical in today's workplace. So how do we define workplace climate? Well, there's multiple definitions uh, out there. Uh, no surprise, of course. So mm. a, a general definition that I like uh, is that it's generally accepted that organizational climate is a set of global perceptions, and that's the key word, perceptions of employees um, that they hold about their organization. Typically, the climate is considered to be the result of the interaction between the organizational structure, the organizational systems, the organizational culture, leader behavior, and employee psychological needs. So basically, the climate is uh, how the, the employees perceive the organization. So it's a very subjective thing, which is, is different than culture. Culture is more structured. So, so, so uh, the, 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 am I right to say that the climate is also uh, variable and changeable all the time then? It is. And you can have yeah. a climate for uh, wellness, well-being. You can have a climate for health. You can have a climate for safety. You can have a climate for uh, excellence. You can have a climate for this and a climate for that. So I, that, that's one of the reasons why I really cringe when I see people talk about, well, we need to have a, a, a culture of safety or we need to have a culture of um, wellness or, or a culture of health. That's a big uh, term today in the States, a culture yeah. of health, uh, because it's, you, you know, it's not. Do you want a culture of safety as opposed to a culture of health? Of course not. Um, <laughs> you want to. Do you want a culture of safety as opposed to a culture of excellence? Of course not. So it's really what they're talking about is climate. They're not talking about uh, culture. Right. But um, because they're related, they, they often um, get confused. <clears throat> so we just to, to kind of reinforce what I said in the definition, a climate has uh, five uh, interconnected components, structure, system, culture, leader behavior and employee behavior. And, you know, it shouldn't surprise us 
uh, that there are five components because everything is interconnected. It's not an either or world anymore. It's an and both world. Right. So <clears throat> as our interest in um, worksite um, well-being and, and worksite uh, wellness continues uh, to evolve, we really need to be interested in, and we do really need to take a look at um, the, the issue of climate and how employees are perceiving uh, their organization. And if we have a wellness program or if we have a well-being program or a safety program, how are employees perceiving those uh, programs? How does line management perceive those uh, programs? Perception, mm -hmm. perception is um, key. And again, there are multiple ways to measure uh, workplace climate. We have uh, assessment um, tools. So we can look at um, the organizational climate questionnaire. We can look at motivational analysis of organizations climate. We can look at the work environment scale or the organizational climate measure. So again, the great thing is we've got tools that we can tap into. It's not just a, a theoretical concept that I'm putting forth. There are very specific tools. And we've also got specialized climate tools. We've got safety climate tools. We've got um, organizational climate tools. We've got creativity climate tools, ethical climate tools, uh, industrial relations climate questionnaires. And, and team climate inventories. So <clears throat> make Google, if there's one recommendation that I would make, make Google your friend um, <laughs> and, and start to look up some of these different uh, things. I, as a result of my relationship with uh, Judd Allen in Vermont, who is a leader in the area of climate and culture, I myself have the ability to offer organizations a work climate uh, survey which is another tool that uh, mm. folks can tap into. A key point or key points to remember when we talk about climate is that each work unit can have its own climate and there can be a climate for each of the different areas that the organization is focusing on, such as we've identified them already, wellness, safety, well-being, and um, so forth. And then mm -hmm. employee, that if climate is nothing more than employee perceptions and how the employee feels about the organization. So that's the climate aspect of the, the second level that we should be looking at when we look at organizations. And the third one is organizational culture. My go-to guy for culture is a uh, Professor Emer Emer Emeritus, there we go. Professor Emeritus from MIT known as Edgar Schein. And Dr. Schein has written a number of books on uh, organizational culture and a number of articles. And <clears throat> so I, he's my go-to guy. And he defines culture as a pattern of shared basic assumptions invented, discovered, or developed by a given group as it learns to cope with its problems of external adaptation and internal integration. They have worked well enough to be considered valid and therefore to be taught to new members as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel 
as a member of the organization. Yeah, mm -hmm. so the shorthand to that is basically culture is the way we do things around here. My so, way, the way, yeah. But it's not my way or the highway. It's no. The, it's the organization's way. And, yeah. and the culture has evolved over time through trial and error. And obviously, senior leadership plays a huge role in the culture of the organization because they set the tone. They set the direction. Um, they're involved in the standards of the organization. So um, really, it's a huge area that leaders, organizational leaders, uh, need to be aware of and understand and, and use to their uh, advantage. So, uh, you know, basically, as I said, it's the way we do things around here, but it's basically a culture is a set of shared assumptions that uh, have worked well in the past and they are now taught either directly or indirectly to new employees as they come um, on board. Culture is not static. Culture evolves as the organization evolves, but it, it evolves can involve two different ways. It can evolve by default or it can evolve by design. Obviously, the better way is to design the culture that you want and then to put the strategies and tactics into place that will create the culture that you want. But culture will be created whether you do it by design or not by default. So obviously, uh, if it's going to happen, let's have it happen in a way that we're controlling it and that it meets um, our need. Therefore, it's critical from my perspective that organizations understand their culture and that worksite wellness practitioners understand the culture of the organization that they're working in. Uh, Dr. Shine has identified three components of culture. Uh, they are artifacts and behaviors. Those are the most visible. And in all probability, those because they're the most visible, they're the ones that get all the attention. And it's the ones you see frequently in the worksite wellness literature saying about how we got to put healthy food in the vending machines. We've got to put broccoli on the menu of the cafeteria, as I've said multiple times. Uh, and, and we've got to have walking paths, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that. Because it's visible, it's um, more easy to uh, see them and to address them. But there are two other levels of culture, or two other components to culture that we need to be aware of. And that's the values um, that of the organization. And they typically are reflected in the documents and the signage and other things that the organization puts forth. And mm -hmm. then there's the big, big one that's um, often um, not addressed nor um, clearly understood. And that's the underlying assumptions. It's all that history. It's all that learning from the past that's now being applied in the future. I won't say in the future, but it's being applied today. So more often than not, we focus on the artifacts and behaviors to the detriment of the organization's values and the underlying assumptions. But if you don't address all three, you're not going to change the organization's uh, culture. So very simply, artifacts and behaviors are what's 
tangible and overt. They can be seen and recognized um, by people. The values um, are the strategies, goals, philosophies, uh, norms of the organization, and that's how they're reflected um, through the organization's print and visual uh, media signage, official documents, etc. And then the third is the, uh, as I said, the shared basic uh, values, and these are um, assumptions, and these are deeply embedded within the organization, and they're uh, unconscious more often than not, um, and they're taken for granted. And because they're unconscious, we don't see them, we don't think about them, and they're taken for granted. Uh, they're the most difficult to uh, identify and, and therefore uh, change. So culture can be assessed just as the physical environment and just as the climate. There are multiple organizational culture uh, assessment tools, <coughs> excuse me, such as the um, organizational culture assessment instrument, the organizational culture inventory, the organizational culture profile, um, the organizational health index, which comes out of McKinsey, if I, the consulting agency, McKinsey, if I remember uh, correctly, the Denison Organizational Culture Survey, and that one that um, I can um, utilize, uh, again, through Judd Allen, and that's the thriving, um, I'm sorry, that's the, uh, not through Judd Allen, this one's through um, an organization called Salvio Partners, and that's the Thriving Workplace Culture um, Survey. Uh, John Robinson, uh, John Robeson, and uh, um, Rosie, oh gosh, I'm forgetting Rosie's last name. But anyway, Salvio Partners, um, I can utilize their as well, uh, their uh, culture audit tool, as well as uh, Judd Allen's, which is the Custom Life Gain uh, Health Culture Audit, which really looks at the health culture uh, within hmm. um, the organization. But there are, as I said, there are multiple tools out there. Uh, health Management Research Center at the University of Michigan has one um, leader, a national leader in wellness. Uh, Dee Eddington from Eddington Associates uh, has a um, an audit or a culture assessment tool um, as well. So okay. <clears throat> because they're related, um, we you know let's look back at uh, the climate and the culture and the key points uh, to remember, and that each unit, each work unit will have its own climate and a subculture. Each climate and um, subculture are deeply entwined into the organization. <clears throat> so we need to study both the culture and the climate as we, need, as we seek to identify the key aspects of the non-physical workplace environment and how they influence employees. The tools differ as to what they um, assess and, and the reports that they kick out. So you really need to match the tool to uh, the information that you're uh, seeking. Uh, one, just like one, no one program fits all, uh, no one tool you know, fits all. <clears throat> and because they're abstractions, measuring culture and climate is best accomplished through the use of both quantitative and qualitative survey methodologies. Hmm. Sure. So, well, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a lot of information you're giving us here. Um, well, thank you very much for that. I remember um, you once said that um, 
for ask a question. Is there a difference between a culture of health and a healthy culture within an organization? I believe there is. And I say that based on how you define health. Historically, if you if you stop anybody on the street nine out of ten times, and, and if you stop the people on the street and ask them what is health, nine out of ten of them are gonna tell you it's something related to physical health. So the culture of health that we're seeing in the literature, talked about in the literature, primarily relates to physical health. In fact, I think if you look at the US CDC definition of a culture of health, it does specifically say the physical aspects of health. Mm. A healthy organization is much more than just physical health. So that's why my preference is to use healthy organization as a or healthy culture as opposed to a culture of health. So again, it, it, it all comes down to how you define these key words, well-being, health, wellness, and healthy organization. And there is no consensus definition for them. I doubt very much personally that we'll ever reach consensus because it's too easy for a researcher or an academician or even a marketer to define health to meet their specific need or wellness or well-being to meet their specific need. So I don't think we'll ever reach consensus. So Hmm. we need to, therefore, we as a field need to be clear when we're talking about wellness or well-being or health what are we talking about? Or a healthy organization, what are we talking about? That's why I said at the outset, I take a very broad view of what yeah. a healthy organization is or what a healthy um, workplace is. In fact, um, I'll, I'll close with this thought. Uh, the healthy workplace continually pushes the positive to counteract the constant negative bombardment that we see in the world today. In today's 24-hour news, you know, if, if it bleeds, it leads um, is sort of the expression in the, in the journalism field. And we're bombarded all the time by negativity. And, and if we really want healthy workplaces, we have to work hard at creating you know, positive uh, conditions and, and positive opportunities for our employees to um, excel, to thrive, to be excellent, whatever term uh, to flourish, whatever term uh, you want to use. So it's not a one and done um, situation. In fact, if you if you look at the research from um, Barbara Fredrickson at the University of North Carolina on positivity and um, another researcher by the name of Lasota, I can't think of what his first name is, right off the top of my head. But they talk about the need to have five, from three to five positive experiences to every one negative. So, Mm. you know, you really have to work hard at the positivity and you really have to work hard at creating a positive organization. But without a doubt, um, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it from being a great place to work to having engaged employees who produce and therefore impact the bottom line. Hmm. 
And that's what an employer wants. I mean, that's what employers in the business for is to make a profit. And that's it. You know, if, if they if they're not making a profit, goodbye workplace, goodbye job, and you know that impacts the employee. That's it. That's it. Sure, Bill. That's a lot of information, and um, you know, it's a, such a uh, insightful um, knowledge and interview that you've um, information that you've given to us. If I may, just ask one more thing. I know that you of want course. to slow down. Um, so, with the change in ha what's happening with creating a culture of healthy workplace or a healthy culture. Um, it seems to me that the old traditional model of the EAPs has got to start changing as well. Well, and, that's and another what, whole... What, what they're offering, yeah. Yeah, no, well, that's another whole um, hour-long uh, presentation. <laughs> um, so buckle in, yeah, here we go. No. Um, <laughs> it depends. And and I, I hate to waffle, but it, it depends. Many EAP programs are what we call broad brush EAP programs. Um, they offer information and referral. They offer management support or management consultation. They offer uh, clinical, uh, short-term uh, clinical services. They offer, many of them are now offering uh, wellness uh, programs uh, hmm. or wellness programming. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, they're, they're in good shape. Uh, the, the, this, uh, there's, a, in a sense, there's two camps in EAP programs today. Uh, one is the sort of the broad brush uh, approach, and the second is an EAP program that's sort of given to an organization as a value add for, you know, purchasing health insurance or um, <clears throat> some other type of insurance from an insurance company. The, the latter programs are typically more clinically orientated as opposed to being broad brush. Right. So I think broad brush programs are in pretty good shape. The, 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 the programs that only offer clinical uh, short-term crisis intervention or uh, you know, solution type therapy, uh, in, yeah, they, they have a lot of work to do today. Yeah. I think the other thing that that the it's not just the EAPs that that need to be addressed. Um, the, a big thing in the workplace is stigma and the stigma associated with uh, mental illness, uh, stigma mm. associated with with substance abuse, and there's also a significant stigma associated with going to EAP. So right. because EAP is seen as the traditional clinical. Uh, setting. So um, uh, employers need to do a lot of work today to, to address that whole stigma issue, as well as in, in EAP programs need to, to do work today to address that stigma issue as well. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, we, EAPs, we, mm. EAPs are, if I may, EAPs are still a great uh, resource um, for uh, employers, no doubt about of it. Course. Of course. Um, well, we, we, we will leave it there because, as you said, otherwise we will be here for another hour. That's uh, that's not intention, and we might follow that up one day. 
Um, Bill, please um, share with the listeners how they can get hold of you or read more about your work or your um, your work that you've published or whatever. Well, um, <clears throat> uh, shame on me. I, I don't have a uh, personal website um, at this point. I should, but I don't. So mm -hmm. the best way is to, you can find me on uh, Facebook. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm a frequent mm -hmm. publisher of articles on LinkedIn. I believe I've got about 130 articles now on uh, LinkedIn that folks can take a look at and they can link to me through either Facebook or um, LinkedIn. And I'm happy to share my uh, email, uh, direct uh, email, and it's William. McPeck, just like my name, at one all one word at gmail.com. William McPeck, Will, thank you very much um, for sharing your knowledge and expertise of years and years in um, the worksite wellness, health and wellness field with us today. Um, you've given us such a lot to to ponder on and to 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 really digest. And I'm sure that everybody is going to listen and re-listen to this interview to get as much as possible um, out of all of this. Um, may I just take the opportunity, um, just from my side, just to just to say thank you for your real hard dedication and work that you've put in over these years. Um, and don't think that you know you it doesn't get um, noticed. I mean, I'm sitting here in South Africa. And, and we know about your work and uh, fantastic um, uh, work that you've done all along all these years. So thank you very much for that. And lastly, thank you for just being willing to participate in the World Workplace Summit. Well, thank you for the kind words and thank you for giving me the forum to share with the world my my thinking. It's, um, it's mine. Um, you know, it's not the only th uh, thinking out there. There are other schools of thought that uh, folks should should look at. Um, but as you say, I, I've been in the field for 20 years. So uh, my thinking is, is has evolved uh, over over that time. And I'm happy to I'm at the stage of my career and at the stage of my life where I'm happy to, you know, share what I know with the world. And I, I want to leave the worksite wellness field uh, <clears throat> with the with the up and coming leaders to be able to take over the reins when when my generation, um, the Larry Chapmans and uh, if I and and Steve Aldana's and the others, if I might put myself in their in their league, uh, when they all retire, when we all retire, I want the field to continue to grow and thrive. So thank you for the opportunity, Martin.